is Louise Ryan and welcome to the Irish Nurses in the NHS podcast series. 2023 marks the 75th anniversary of Britain's National Health Service. Since its establishment in 1948, there was a huge demand for nurses as the new health service was being rolled out across Britain, particularly in the 1950s. When you get off the train, just follow the crowds. <laughs> Didn't know where I was coming to, did I? I still remember her name so well. And she had a zip from her throat to her pubic bone. I want to be with people, I want to be around people. And that's where it all started, really. recruitment campaign launched by the NHS in Ireland attracted thousands of young Irish women with the offer of free training, accommodation and the chance to earn a wage during their nurse training. It was amazing training and I think so much is lost by not giving them more clinical experience. It was amazing training. I think Anne you would make a nurse. In this second episode, we meet five Irish women who recall the highs and lows of nurse training in Britain's NHS. I was born in Clonmel, County Tipperary. Mary knew that she was going to be a nurse from an early age. As I was growing up, I always had a yen for helping people and pushing babies in prams. I was always interested in doing this. And we had a neighbour whose mother had Parkinson's disease and she dribbled all the time. And I was 11 and I was her babysitter when she went shopping. And I loved looking after her and wiping her face. Sounds a bit silly, I know, but it wasn't. So I decided I wanted to be a nurse very early on. One thing was certain, she was going to train as a nurse on her own terms. So my mother was most insistent that I should train in Dublin. And the thought of going to Dublin and that a hospital which was run by nuns frightened the life out of me because the reason I wanted to be a nurse was to go to England and get away from the nuns. Mary had made up her mind she was going to London and nobody was going to stop her. So I refused to go to Dublin and I kept on and on and I was an abomination to live with. And my father said, Agnes, let her go. She'll be back within a month. And I got the £30 fare. They took me to Dublin to Collinstown Airport, which is Dublin Airport now. And the fare was £30 on the plane. I'd never been on a plane in my life. And there was just a curtain between the pilot and the people. And we landed at Northolt. There was no Heathrow. And that was the beginnings of my nursing history. Arriving in London to begin her nurse training... A few days shy of her 18th birthday, Mary is starting a new life, free from the constraints she'd left behind in Ireland. I went straight to the hospital because that was where they sent the trainee nurses. We were in a school, not like now, on the, on the, they're all educated in the university. It was 1952. Post-war rationing was still a feature of daily life in Britain. Four years after the war ended, there were still rations in England. We had to line up for our butter and sugar rations. It had only been a few short years since the end of World War II 
and the birth of the NHS, Mary's nurse training had a certain military precision about it. We went to school. We had a classroom and a sister tutor who was an absolute lady but stood no nonsense. And there was 24 of us in the class. And we had our nurse's uniform on and we had it in the nurse's home. Every day we had lectures from her and we had consultants to come in and lecture to us, surgeons, eye specialists, anybody at all, physicians. And one day a week we were let loose on the wards to observe. And as we got better at observation, we were allowed to make a bed provided the corners were all right and the patient's feet were solid in the bed and not moving. Nurse training in those post-war years was almost like being in the army, rigid, disciplined and regimented. But there were some funny moments that stood out. In the classroom, we had a doll. She was the shape of a woman called Araminta. I still remember her name so well. And she had a zip from her throat to her pubic bone and you took all her insides out laid them all on the bed and you were taught where her lungs were her liver, her kidneys her intestines, everything her spleen and then you had to put them back in the right place needless to mention that caused hilarity because we were putting her lungs where her liver should be and um, which didn't go down too well with Sister Tutor Training was hard. Matron was a lady, but a dragon underneath. And the thing I find difficult now is Matron was a nurse and she worked her way up. You know, now they're walking around with their clipboards. They know nothing about nursing. They just know the the principles, that's all. But she knew everything. And she was very kind Lovely English lady, but if you crossed her, you were in trouble, which she let us know. Anyway, but that was the beginnings of our anatomy, which lasted us right up to this day. When you get off the train, just follow the crowds. I didn't know where I was coming to, did I? Teresa, originally from Donegal, moved to England to become a nurse in 1954. But anyhow, I came to England started my training and uh, I qualified when I was 21. Then I quite, you know, quite enjoyed it. Like Mary, who had arrived a couple of years before her, nurse training in those post-war years was still very regimented. Very strict and uh, uniform. Oh yes, matron, tiny little matron Lane. She was very strict. She was very kind and she was very strict. She, she was quite right. We had six weeks what we called PTS, preliminary training school, for six weeks where we had mostly theory. She was a very nice instructress. And, yeah, Monday to Friday, and then they put us on the wards on Saturday morning for four hours. The memory of her first day on the ward as a student nurse has never left her. I remember the first ward again just because I was the youngest in the group. Uh, I was put on the children's ward. But I think the first day I got a shock when a little girl had passed away and they had the little girl dressed up like a doll. I can still see that child. I'd never seen 
change, you know, did before, but that was the children's world. There were no computers in those days. And we did an awful lot of writing, not like today, they're all in front of computers, aren't they? We had an awful lot of writing to do. Now, for example, on day duty, we had to write two reports in the evening before we came up. Then there was the phenomenon of the split shift. We started, I suppose, at 8 o'clock, 8 to 8, but we had three hours off. It was good then. I always say this is when I see them struggling there in hospital. We had all the staff on in the morning. Some were given three hours, say from half nine in the morning, half nine, half ten, eleven, half twelve. They came back at one o'clock. More went off between two and five. And in the evening, you were lucky to get once a week finishing at five. So we always had the staff on in the morning and in the evening when they were most needed. And then there was the legendary blanket bath. And very often we used to have a laugh, especially blanket bathing, which some people don't know what is blanket bathing, our patients. And there was always two, like two of us would go along. Their sister, she was a strict sister, but she was good. Her ward was beautifully run. But she always kind of sensed the young men that are going to start chatting us up. <laughs> Obviously, they were young. We were young between 18 and 21 year old. And very often she'd appear behind the screen. She'd hear us giggling and laughing. She'd come in behind the screen and tell us all off. Teresa was still a teenager when she made the big move to London to train as a nurse. It was only natural she was going to be homesick. So, but it was sad. Obviously, I missed mum and my brothers. I had left four brothers behind, you know, so it must have been quite sad. Even when I started my training, I remember my aunt who brought me over, more or less got me sorted out here, telling me the hospital wasn't far from Clapham Junction. And I used to tell her, every train I hear go by, I wish I was on it going back home again. And she said the trains were out at that station every two and three minutes, so you couldn't have been concentrating much on your training. (laughs) I used to be so lonely. I want to be with people, I want to be around people, and that's where it all started, really. Phil is from Sligo. She's the only girl in a family of six. She finished school in 1973, And in 1974, she decided to go to London to train as a nurse. I knew I didn't want to work in an office. I don't know why, but I just didn't think that would suit me. And um, I thought about teaching. And then I really don't think I had a vocation, quite frankly, for nursing. Just towards the end of my schooling in 1973, there was one of the nuns that actually mentioned uh, about interviews for Dublin. Uh, to start training as a nurse and I thought well it's probably better than an office job I can honestly say with hand on heart all through my life I don't think the nursing thing came into it at all There was a three year waiting list for nurse training in Dublin London was the next best thing to get in early So you didn't want to wait? No I didn't want to wait there I was out of school not knowing what I wanted to do working in the supermarket getting cash in hand basically from my week's work in the supermarket and um, my aunt lived in London <laughs> My Irish aunt lived in London and she said, Why don't you think about interviewing for London? Phil was offered nurse training in hospitals in both North and South London. Her mind was made up. It was basically that I had family here, and that's where it all started. I came on New Year's Eve, 1974. Like Teresa before her, 
Phil was very lonely leaving home at such a young age. I felt very, very lonely. And my first cousin, who was staying with this aunt before Christmas and the New Year, him and his son escorted me up to the hospital. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Brought me to the door. There was tears and tears and tears and tears and tears, you know, because being the only girl, everybody was sad to see me go, I suppose, particularly my mum, Lord of mercy on her. But, uh, yeah, he dropped me off to the hospital. I'd never really been to England. I'd been to Dublin and all the Irish cities, but never to London. And driving along the high street, thinking that great big block of flats was our fabulous hospital. Three big, huge flats. And we did a right turn into this very Victorian old building, thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I let myself in for? And really and truly, I think they thought the same, but they were trying to be upbeat for me. But it was lonely leaving, and it was lonely seeing them go. Mm. And we knew nobody, so it was really the beginning of it all, basically. Once she settled into her nurse training, Phil wasn't alone. Do you know, the training was, I think, anyway, I think the training was excellent, looking back now. I'm just thinking so much has changed but basically there was a lot of Irish in the group which helped a lot of Irish nurses you know so we felt quite comfortable with each other um, a lot of Chinese nurses um, a lot of West Indian nurses and the, the minority was English nurses at the time basically and quite a few of them left but uh, we had obviously you know remember we had seven weeks in school to begin with which I think prepared us for what was to come her nurse training came with many new challenges, including shift work, study, exams, and also night duty. And obviously we were worried about first time on wards and doing injections and everything else, but it, we, were, we were supported very, very good. I remember that, and I remember the shock of going on night duty as an 18-year-old and trying to have to stay awake all night. You know, I just think uh, it, was, it was crazy, but we did it. She learned to care for the patients, but that care was also extended to her by the hospital when she was in need of it. I honestly believe with hand and heart it couldn't have been any better, the training. And we were very well supported in every aspect. I remember getting very sick um, probably this eight weeks into my training and going into the sick bay for three nights. And the nursing officer, I don't think she was called a nursing officer then, but whoever was coming in, to see, in and out to see me all the time. So you did feel very cared for. Yeah, really, really did. It was amazing training, and I think so much is lost by not giving them more clinical experience. It was amazing training. Marion is from Mayo in the west of Ireland. She's one of a family of 12 children. When the NHS came to Dublin on a regular recruitment drive, Marion went for an interview and was accepted into nurse training in London. The training was very, very practical. We went to PTS for six weeks, so we learned the bases. We were taken up into the um, clinical areas. We were taught how to make a bed. We were taught how to wash a patient, how to roll them, how to make our nice envelope corners on the beds, how it was all very neat and tidy and, you know... The importance and of making sure that the patient was washed in a dignified way. They were always covered. And if anyone came behind the curtain and saw more than the little bit you were washing exposed, you were in big trouble. Then we went off out onto the wards for a couple of weeks. 
and we practiced what we learned. So it was very much learn, practice, learn, practice. Then back into the School of Nursing for another couple of weeks, maybe two weeks it, it, it was then, and you do the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system, you link those two, and then you were back on another ward placement. Like Mary and Teresa, who'd trained more than 20 years before her, it was that regimented discipline instilled in her by the tutors and ward sisters as a student nurse that stood to Marion for the rest of her long career. It was very regimented in, in every way because you had like your little book and what you'd come. The night sister, I always remember um, um, the night sisters coming round and they would pick whoever and you just think, I hope it's not me tonight because I don't know if I know enough about the patients. And they would take you around the ward and say, right, so who is this? You'd have to give the name, age, the diagnosis and the care plan. And this could be 12 o'clock at night. I've still got my little book upstairs where you had your drug assessment, uh, your patient assessment, ward management assessment, uh, where you had all of your assessments carried out very rigorously by one of the clinical tutors from the School of Nursing. Mm -hmm. And we also had to do an aseptic technique dressing. So there was four elements of your competencies. They would come onto the ward with you and you just think, oh my God, this is going to be a terrible day. The nursing profession is traditionally based on rank. First, second and third year students, then staff nurse, senior staff nurse, sister, nursing officer, up to the director of nursing. As a student nurse, Marion was only on the first rung of the ladder. But she recalls fondly how she was supported by higher ranking nurses who were role models, setting her up for her long career in nursing. They would come on the wards and they would find out, you know, how are you getting on? You know, is there any, any problems? I mean, looking back and looking at it today, we were like all in together in the third years, we're looking after the first years and the first years were looking up to the third years. We wouldn't dare call the ward sister by her Christian name sister whoever but you never ever refer to anyone and then even the staff nurse it was nurse 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 the student nurses used to call them their names to each other but beyond that anyone who was qualified there was a very definite respect for them and you never referred to them by their christian names i think Anne, you would make a nurse Anne is originally from Wicklow. She got a place nurse training in a Dublin hospital and had spent 18 months working there to get experience before she started her training. So I, I said I wanted to apply to Dublin, but I looked into it, the cost of books and clothes and everything was colossal, so we couldn't afford to do that. So my mum said she couldn't afford either. So she said, but if you go to England, she said, I'll give you a certain amount of money to... You know, get your you could have to buy your uniform and everything in Ireland at the time. So instead, Anne started her nurse training in London in 1963. She recalled it was horrendous. Funnily enough, I liked the hospital because there's three big sections of the hospital, so you had to walk in all big big branches, you know, and it was very hard work. The wards were designed on the Nightingale principle. But there was 40 bedded wards, some of them. Yes, big long wards. It was very hard work. 
most of your work was done on the wards and then you went into PTS, the preliminary training, maybe once or twice a month for lecture, pe- people coming lectures and all that, and you do all the paperwork there then. TB was one of the most serious public health illnesses of the time. As a student nurse, Anne saw firsthand the impact of this illness on the patients she cared for. Basically then I was put on TB ward, I worked on a TB ward and I did that for nearly uh, about eight months, I think it was, we had to do, you know, so long. But we were left there for quite a long time where I found that very hard, the TB ward, wearing the masks and the gowns and all that kind of thing. And in those days you had to buy the syringes and the autoclaves and, you know, and all the patients were on streptomycin. I remember all that as well as anything. And um, so it was. I felt very sad because some, some of the people were young, young people, you know. Yeah. And I used to worry about my health if I picked something up off of them or that, you know. But thankfully, we never did seem to pick up anything. I think the training here was a lot better. You got more, you could ask more, more time for you. And, you, you know, you could ask the questions and, and that here to if you had any problems or anything like that. Anne is very frank when she compares her training in the NHS during the 1960s to nurse training today. I think the way we train personally in the older days is the proper way to train. Train on the wards, work with the patients, do the work with the patients. Mm. Now, what they're doing now is I found, because I used to the students on nights with me, I found that they train in university and they come out and they just stand there, you know. They don't, they don't seem to, I don't know, understand or whatever. They don't seem to want to do the work nowadays, I think. They want to be more like managers and they wanted to get to London and bright lights. and They're more like to have fun in their training. I mean, OK, we had fun in our training, but we worked hard for it as well. But I think the younger ones from Ireland, that's how they look at it. You can't just do that, you know, the patients need care. Irish Nurses in the NHS podcast series is brought to you in association with the London Irish Centre, the Irish Government through the Irish Abroad Unit at the Department of Foreign Affairs and London Metropolitan University. In the next episode of the Irish Nurses in the NHS podcast series, we meet the Irish nurses who migrated to the Merseyside city of Liverpool. We would like to thank the nurses who contributed to the making of this podcast.